Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Jared Feather, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you because I am asked all the time what I am doing, and I actually got to a point where I was struggling. My fat loss slowed down, and I was kind of in this weird thing of like when I would try to lower my calories, I think I was going too low, and so you came and have helped me wonderfully and it's been awesome and i would like to talk about that if you don't mind yeah absolutely man we can go any direction you want to take that uh currently i'm helping you with training and dieting so we can definitely discuss the diet you handled a very large portion of that successfully on your own like you have talked about in the past you you watched uh mike's ted talk yeah and you learned about the importance of maintenance phases and settling point theory and things of that nature so we can definitely dive into all that for sure but you definitely did a large portion of that uh successfully on your own very, yeah very well because i picked you up after you were you just coming off of a maintenance? I was just into, coming off of a maintenance, yeah. Heading into another diet. Yeah. And uh, I was like, mm, maybe we should extend this maintenance a little bit. Then the virus happened and yeah. we really extended it because we was, were just at home training. So. It was the longest <laughs> maintenance period ever recorded. You know, you know, probably needed too. Like even today, uh, so we just did that eating challenge. So I apologize if I'm off my A game here. I'm pretty tired. Yeah. <laughs> even uh, that so, euphoria so even that, is kicking in. Um, you didn't eat that much. And a pretty good indicator that not eating a lot in one sitting, that uh, you just can't eat as much as you used to be able to in one sitting, obviously, which is also kind of goes into settling point. Like you just can't eat what you used to eat at 500 pounds, and that's really cool because yeah. now your body's used to be uh, used to being at the 270, and uh, the calories that you're going to take in are a little bit more at that 270 range. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, I was. I mean, it's a fucking weird thing to be disappointed about not being able to eat as much as I. I sit down and I go, "Here's what I'm going to eat. I'm going to crush these guys. I've got this. <laughs> I haven't actually had a cheat meal in f forever. Yeah. So I was like really ready. I've been dieting hard. Like <laughs> everything I thought was bad. I was teed up to crush that competition, and I. I did. I was really disappointed. Well, the cool honestly. thing is, you kind of were. Like you've been dieting for about. Uh, eight weeks now yeah and uh you, like you said this first mesocycle the first block of dieting that we did you were you were no hunger at all then we dropped your calories a little bit because you wanted to prepare for a few things uh, personal goals of your own and you're like i was i'm kind of hungry this this block so you know four weeks of being hungry and then still only being able to crush what, what was it 250 in one sitting 250 250 grams of carbs yeah, yeah. so and like what, not even 100 grams of protein right. <laughs> it's really disappointing and like no fat <laughs> very minimal fat yeah so that, that yeah well i mean i i guess i am relieved that i wasn't i wasn't just i wasn't able to beat everybody by leaps and bounds that was good uh, sure. there's so still part of me wanted to win <laughs> you um, have to get revenge on me at some point yeah but there is something there is something really nice and and i've been talking about maintenance a lot and i would love to talk to you about the importance mm. of that because Maintenance within a diet, like for my whole life, the diet was if I'm, you know, 550, what is my goal weight? Mm -hmm. I'm going to just diet until I get there. 
And then some diets that I've done had maintenance built into the back end where it would say like, once you finish this, you can't just eat normal. So you spend a period of time eating a modified version of the diet, Mm -hmm. but that's not forever. Right. And none of it was based on calories Mm -hmm. or even figuring that out. I didn't know what calorie, I didn't understand calories at all. I was never thinking about them. Um, And maintenance is the first time where within the diet, taking that break to actually see what eating, what regular eating should be or can be is kind of more valuable to me than even figuring out a diet I'm happy with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, getting to that point where I don't want to use, cause intuitive eating is a thing, but intuitive eating doesn't make any fucking sense. Cause if you intuitive eat, you're intuitively just shoving big Macs down your face all day. Right. But it is definitely, uh, for longevity purposes, for, for general population who are just wanting to diet down, not super fitness freaks like you who want to gain a lot of fucking muscle and get huge, like go through these phases of dieting and massing up and building tissue. For general population who want to get down and maintain a steady weight, it is, it's getting to that point where it's like I dieted so successfully that now I can just look at food and kind of know what's going on there and stop because my I'm happy. I'm satisfied. So it is definitely trying to get to that point where you diet – you take these maintenance periods, create new settling points, diet again a little bit, same thing, maintain. And then over the course of the long term, a couple of years, three years, it's not a quick process like we talked about in the gym earlier. Over the course of a couple of years, you get to the point where it's like, I now know I'm on this maintenance period. I'm at the body weight that I want to be at and I can just kind of eat food uh, nonchalant and maintain my body weight. And that's what these maintenance periods will help you with. Yeah. And within that, you can – and I agree. I completely agree about intuitive eating. And I think there probably are people that it could work for. But a guy like me who started out at 550 pounds and really doesn't understand the signals, like it's not just innate that I my body's going to say like stop or I'm going to stop naturally without thinking. I have to think about these things still. Through maintenance, I can with using a like quote unquote mindfulness, I can right. figure out what it is. And, and, and by the end of maintenance, I wasn't even really tracking. Mm-hmm. I had just learned over a few months what it was and this is what I was doing. Right. Like you say, my, like you were just mindful of it. So that's probably why, that's why I don't like the word intuitive. Cause like if you intuitively did stuff, it's like, I'm intuitively going to shove these, these meals down my fucking face because I want them. Yeah. <laughs> That's intuitive. So like you said, just being more mindful about what you're eating. And since you have dieted and you've gone through the periods of time in which you're tracking and you're no, you know what's going on to the plate, now you can look at it, which I assume is what people mean when they say this intuitive uh, style of eating or whatever. Now you can look at the things that you're eating and be like, okay, this is about what I'm having. I know that I need to get enough protein in so that way I'm keeping my muscle tissue so that way when I'm dieting down that I'm not losing any lean tissue and then therefore having to eat even less calories – um, so you can look at it and be like, this is the protein I need. I'm going to get that in. I'm going to eat that first. I'm going to have a glass of water with the meal. So that way I'm a little more full. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, th- this apple is probably 25 grams of carbs and I can have some grapes with that and whatever else. And you're still expressing this stuff in your mind. Yeah. Like you said, you're mindful about it, but you're not literally getting the scale out right? and measuring every little thing. Cause maintenance is such a huge range depending on where you're your daily need is that you're probably going to maintain fairly well over the course of however long you need to, if you're really good at this because you've gone through these sequential diets. Yeah. Right. The scale goes away that I can kind of eyeball a cup of rice. I can kind of eyeball a, a chicken breast percent. and missing on either side of this is not as critical as when I'm dieting and right. going like 
this is exact. I need to exactly. be precise. You could even get to the point where you you have done this for a few uh, a few years, and now you're going to diet. So for me, like this is going to be terrible for me to say on camera because I'm like a do as I say, not as I do. When I diet for shows, I don't use a scale. Really, I eyeball it like that. I'm pretty damn good at it, and I know what I'm going to eat every day. Sometimes I'll just go off packages, like. Uh, especially since like trifecta came into the picture, it's like this chicken breast has about 32 grams of protein and whatever I need in the meal, I'll just put that on the plate. I can just heat it up in the microwave, whatever. But when you get really good at it, that's the kind of stuff you can do. And then when you get really deep into the show prep, then I'll start kind of, uh, you know, get the measuring cups out and things like that. And yeah. Like, eh, you know, I should probably know what I'm doing as far as sodium goes for the shows, but that's all nuanced bull crap that you don't have to worry about if you're gym pop and if you're a bodybuilder, you can hire a coach to do that shit for you. Yeah, but you, as a bodybuilder, you're <laughs> constantly dieting. Whether that is sure. even maintenance, you, there, is there a period in your life where you're not thinking about it at all, one way or the other? Mm, for me, not thinking about it at all, for anybody, probably a bad idea. When we're adults, we do what we need to do and not what we want to do. Right. So it's like if you're an adult and you're just literally not thinking about it at all, that means you're probably going and you're eating out five out of seven days a week. You're eating ice cream at night. You're doing yada, 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 which can lead to some pretty negative health consequences. So as long as you're in a healthy range and uh, you've become, quote, unquote, mindful, intuitive, whatever, um, that's the sort of not thinking about it in quotations that you'd like to get to. But it's still going to require some discipline and some sort of thinking about it. Right. Because you can't just not think about it and – uh, go buy macaroni and cheese and now you're just eating mac and cheese for every meal and you have no protein and then you lose muscle and then you, you're like, well, I'm the same weight, but I look worse. What the heck's going on? It's like, well, you lost muscle tissue. And then you're like, well, now I actually have to eat less too, like again, because you lost muscle tissue. So there's never a point in my, in my own where I'm not thinking about, just literally not thinking about it. But during maintenance phases, I do a very similar thing to what you do. I'm enjoying myself more. Uh, I'm training less. Uh, training volume goes down quite a bit, and that has some uh, recent sedation purposes for bodybuilding training where I'm uh, getting my body ready for high volumes again, things like that. But training less, eating comfortably, and uh, just sort of enjoying going out and doing things with friends more than yeah. when I'm on a prep or something. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, it's so weird. I used to really dream about a day where I would I would maintain my weight exactly with no thought that right. this was my goal. I would just be this weight, whatever it was. I didn't yeah. have a number in mind. And and then if I look back through the last 18 years, not the last 2 really, but the prior 16 I see a, a very like exaggerated yo-yo, right? Mm -hmm. Like yo-yo dieting was real. I would kill myself to get really low. Right. And then as slowly as I possibly could, I would regain the weight. You know, that would be my effort because right. I knew it was coming back. I would just go like, I'm going to make as many good decisions as possible. And what's wild is doing this kind of more bodybuilder style. It's almost the same thing, but it's done with perfect intention and a much more nuance and and uh much more exactly so there will be a loss period mm -hmm. uh, a, a plateau and then a gaining period but it's done on purpose absolutely yeah and that's the thing it's not to be honest this isn't uh something really modern and or old 
uh, days of bodybuilding that I really picked up on. This is something uh, sports science integrated. So sports nutrition and sports physiology. A big thing that I think me and Mike have done is really bring that sort of over to bodybuilding because yeah. periodization really didn't exist. Dieting periodization. There were people who would do like, uh, I would say, um, well, carb cycling and things of that nature, but I'm unsure they knew why they were doing it. They didn't understand the physiological components and how they're setting themselves up to be successful in the future and how periods of of maintenance aren't periods where you're not getting better because you're going to get so much better in the time to come that it actually sets you up for that. And that you have to just look at it that way. It's like, this is a temporary trade-off to be even better in the future because you can diet, diet, diet your ass to the ground. Like you said, you're going to gain that weight back. And doing it this way where you have the maintenance periods and you create a settling point and you're allowing hormone to brain, uh, gut to brain hormone communication to kind of level off, these things are setting you up for the success of the diet in the future. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, doing it this way is more like a period, periodized approach to it, which is probably something more people should get into. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be – one of the fads it right. certainly doesn't. I think that it, that I would love for it to be a, more of a fad because I think it's um, it's much more exciting to me. It's all of my goals wrapped into a neat exactly. bow, and, and and I saw results immediately. Exactly, and it's and it's cool because it breaks it down into subsequent goals on right. its own, just because the blocks require that. Like it's like this block is maintenance, whereas in the past that was like I'm plateaued, right. cut calories. It's literally like somebody telling you now, hey, that's good. We're maintaining. We're supposed to be maintaining right now. And then you're like, oh, I'm checking this box. I'm, this goal is being accomplished. Wow, wow. I'm maintaining again. Look at the scale. Oh, wow. I'm within like three or four pounds during this period of time, and I'm not as hungry as I used to be. And all these little goals are just kind of coming into play. And you're, instead of that one huge slash in, in, in body weight, and the end goal is the goal, and that's it, you're accomplishing all this stuff as you go through the phases. Yeah. there. I did a diet where – I think it was like if you haven't lost weight in six days, you break the plateau with an apple day, and that is oh like a day where you're allowed to only eat apples, but you eat as many as you want. I can't That's even insane. remember. Some one cra- no. It's a crazy <laughs> diet where it's like 500 calories a day for everyone, oh. and you lose a pound a day, or so I was losing a pound a day, and then six days in a row, I don't lose it, and I eat my apples, and sure enough, I lost a bunch of weight. Wow. Um, so you're right. I mean, the idea that we're going to like – you know, I, I I wish over the course of my weight loss, I had gone, what's it like to maintain 400 pounds? What's it like to maintain 300 pounds? Right. I didn't really even do a, a maintenance period until I was about 295, 300 around there. All right, so how many years of, of yo-yoing before you did that? 17. Yeah, and it was just like kind of like lose 100, go back up 150, lose – 150 go back up 200 yeah and then when you finally hit that first maintenance you kind of just stayed under 200 pounds or was there a little bit of a gain after well, that well there i i there was a or period 300. of years where i went down to 220 then i gained up to like 280 and i was hovering around 280 but hovering around 280 not with maintenance just with like by the skin of my teeth mm-hmm. of like getting on a scale, seeing I gained weight, reducing food a right. lot, going down. Micro yo-yo dieting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and not healthy. there was no looking at calorie, like what I was eating, amounts I was eating. There right. was, I had no idea. Like, I don't think people necessarily have to count their calories. Right, I'm, right, by right. the way, I'm not even counting on my, the program you have me on. You never mentioned calories. Not at all. <laughs> it, there's no, I, I have sat down and figured out what, right. how many calories I'm right, eating. Right. You don't even give me protein macros. It's just like 
eight ounces. Right, right. Um, it's like it's here, actually here, really here's cool. Here's your list of, of the proteins that are accepted, and it's because I've already calculated a caloric range that you'll be within on certain days, and, and the range is either slightly below maintenance or a pretty good deficit of about uh, 600 calories deficit a day for your body weight. And depending on any given day, you're going to be under because it's it's always deficit. You'll be under by some margin. And then we watch this the trend line. Right. And I can add or adjust or ask you kind of what have you been eating uh, as far as the choices on the template. But I've already accounted for all the ancillary sources. So like the, the carbs and the fats and the protein sources that you're eating, the uh, protein and the fats and the carb sources that you're eating, and then same thing with fats, yeah. protein and carbs and the fats. So I've accounted for all that, and there's a range that you're within, and you don't have to do any of that calculation. And that's the cool, that's the cool thing about hiring a coach. It's like if someone does it right, they're not just throwing macros at your face and numbers, and they're like, hey, hit this and do this and track it all on your phone and make sure you're doing that and that. They're kind of just like going through the process with you of like here's what you should eat. And yeah. let's uh, just be mindful again. Be mindful. Here are some good selections that you could pick from that uh, fit this range that I have already calculated for you. But don't stress. Just weigh this, measure that, and eat some food. Yeah. And then on maintenance, it's similar, but it it became after a month, I wasn't even measuring anymore. And I was pretty pretty hitting those numbers pretty close because I wasn't gaining weight. Why, why, why did I, I, so I, I got down to like 14% body fat on my own and, and with calipers, I was at 10, Okay, but on a DEXA scan, which is, I think gold standard. Yeah. Pretty gold standard. Yeah. Underwater weighing and DEXA are very similar. Uh, DEXA can become pretty cloudy if somebody who is overly muscular or overly fat, depending on the water shifts and things like that. But that's just really, really good. Right. Like if you deplete your glycogen, right. you could look like you have less lean tissue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like okay. I could get on there at the beginning of a bodybuilding peak and at the end and have like a 2% deviation or something, 3% deviation. It's pretty crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's scary. I don't know what I was doing. But, but that's a small deviation compared to like calipers or right. uh, in-body bioelectrical impedance analysis. Yeah, those bioelectrical things always had me at like 30% body fat. And those are because they run on body water calculations. So like you have a lot of muscle tissue. And you have uh, – there's an impedance going – so there's an electrical current going through and then there's amount of fat that impedes that. And then depending on how much water you have, it kind of speeds that up. So it's just like a pretty damn good measurement for body water, not very good for body fat. Right. But people use those in like supplement shops and shit all the time and it's just like, you know, long-term data, sure, whatever. Uh, just make sure you're going in on the same conditions. But outside of that, it's kind of just wishy-washy. Yeah. So the decks I had you at 14. Dex had me at 14. Wild. I, I can't wait to do it again and see what it is. Yeah, man. But I was kind of getting stuck. And the place I was getting stuck at was when I'd lower my calories, I would really struggle in the gym. Mm-hmm. And you just came in and, and really tail, like sorted that all out very quickly. So I went back oh, yeah. to weight loss, but also... Now, it could have been because the first thing we did was a, uh, an, an accidentally long maintenance period. Yeah, I think we extended it by about a month. We were going to do two, uh, at least eight weeks. Right. And then I think uh, right when we started maintenance was when shutdown happened. Yeah. So it kind of timed perfectly. But then we extended it a little more because LA gyms were wild, like open, shut again. Yeah. Sorry. Right. So I think that we did uh, another, another four weeks. Month. Yeah. And. And then when we came out of it, the thing that I was suffering with was when I cut my calories uh, the last time, I was really struggling in the gym. And that has not happened this time. Yeah, it was really cool. So because not that's also to do a settling point in some fashion. 
and just being used to being this body weight and training at this body weight. Because you did train. You were training in quarantine. You've been training at this body weight for 12 weeks, right? Yeah. So now you're just used to training there, and that means that the cuts aren't going to be as dramatic of an effect on you as they would have been in the past because it was like mass or like gain a bunch of weight and then diet down immediately. So you're slashing a bunch of calories. You're not even used to training at that body weight. And then you feel like, oh, shit, gym performance sucks. But not only that, but in conjunction with the with the uh, dieting maintenance through quarantine, we did mostly maintenance volume. So we weren't going too crazy. And then when we finally got that gym access again, what we did was set it up again in a periodized, periodized fashion where now we can go back into higher volumes, but we take it slowly. So what maybe you didn't do in the past was take training, really map out what your volume looks like, and kind of ease into the training a little bit harder the next week, a little harder the next week, same, same, and then take a deload, fatigue management period. So a lot of people don't do that. And then they, so they'll go up and then they'll come right back down and they expect the exact same intensity of all their workouts. But really they were just fortunate they weren't fucking overtraining. They're just fortunate to be going in there and not being broken. So then when they cut those calories and they're trying to do the exact same stuff, well, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> So that sort of easing into the training period where you come off of a, a deload or you come out of a maintenance really helps to set you up not only just to uh, build your, your general physical preparedness, or your GPP, but it helps you to build the volume tolerance. Right. And you're able to progress and progress. And the way you see it is, oh, I'm always getting better. And the way I kind of look at your data is like, okay, so at, at, you know, at the end of this block of training, he was doing this. So the next block, at the end, we need to beat it. But really, you probably don't even go in there and realize in the first couple weeks of your second block of training, you're actually doing less than the last couple weeks of your last block of training. Right. No, I'm not. I, I honestly haven't been paying attention to that yeah, yeah. at all. I'm just doing it and and feeling great and knowing that I that it's gone up. It's it's increasing, um, which is also very confusing because we're on a we're on a pretty strict. We're on a decent cut right now. For sure. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, uh, so that's another thing I noticed when I initially started applying really principled approach to my training and dieting and, and implementing sports science. It's like you could take somebody who's considered pretty advanced in their training. Like you're even probably considered <laughs> intermediate to advanced at this point. And even today with leg press, we showed you – you're like, hey, I never feel in this part of my quad. What can I do? And I was like, literally just do this. And you got done with the session. And you're like, my the outside of my quads hurt like a mofo. Yeah. You had no idea that was going to happen. So just little things like that, plus applying sports science, like a progressing through a certain volume amount, just applying overload, making sure you're taking fatigue management periods. You're not constantly trying to train hard as hell. Because it's the same thing with diet and training. You know, you continually just try to train hard as hell you try to diet hard as hell and there's this burnout and then you're actually just doing less than you did before and it's it all goes to the shitter so when i started implementing sports science and i was learning more in university i was probably five six years into training and i felt like i was only putting on a two three pounds of muscle a year at that point because it was during natural bodybuilding and i immediately like i think i gained another eight pounds, 10 pounds of muscle tissue in the first year of wow. being smart about stuff and not just going in there and frying myself like people think that you need to do because you don't need to do that. How important is the deload week? Because I will say that the week I look most forward to is the overreach week, which For is sure. the, the hardest Hard. week. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're an animal. That's yeah, why. <laughs> you, I, and, you, and somehow – You've gotten strong enough for that, mm -hmm. and then you're just crushing it every day. Yeah, yeah. 
And then the deload week is um, super counterintuitive if it's not what I want to be doing. Right. It feels like it. But it's that same thing I talked about earlier where you're going in and it's a temporary trade-off. And to be honest, that's not even a trade-off because you're so fatigued by the end of end of the training block that if you don't deload, then we run into some actual issues where you're getting injured, maybe joints or muscle potentially. Uh, you're just too fatigued to actually do more volume than the last time. And if you're not doing more than the last time, well, you're not getting much better. What are you really doing? Are you maintaining your tissue that way? Eh, maybe not because if you do it another week and you go regress even further, you're, you're really not applying a stimulus that you need to maintain your muscle during the diet. So the deload is very important. And I mean, I don't know who listens to the podcast too much, but for general general population, deloads can probably be taken a little less often, but you're a jacked guy. So we do them every five weeks, every six weeks, depending on where we're at. Uh, somebody who's relatively new, beginner, they're only training three times a week or so, you know, they can maybe run a block up to eight weeks, 10 weeks. It just depends. Right. And, and uh, getting a personal trainer or hiring a coach or somebody like that is a, is a good idea to sort of push you through that. Because they can track your data and see if you're progressing. And, and it's cool because personal trainers, I used to, you know, I think we all did in, in university setting would be like a really personal trainer. Like, come on. But even like the education for that is getting so much better that they understand these concepts very, very well, too. And I'd be comfortable being like, hey, why don't you go get a personal trainer? Well, OK, let's talk about that, because I think there's the way I use personal trainers and I've had a few of them in, in over the years. And then for a long time, I was just working out by myself. But it's almost that I was paying somebody to encourage me to exercise, but there was zero tracking of anything. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't learn about progressive overload mm-hmm. until I read Mike's book. You know, right, right, and started to like started to look for tips from specifically bodybuilders on retaining muscle mass. Yeah, because I was so used to like, you want to lose weight, you just got to be hungry and doesn't matter what diet you're on. You're going to do keto, which I always thought like, that's the diet you can eat right. 15 pounds of bacon a day. Not true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I would say within the last 10 years or so, uh, per- personal training education has gone up quite a bit. Uh, NASM contexts are always being, they're always being in, uh, updated. And, you know, a lot of the really good professors like Brad Schoenfeld out there are the ones putting the data out to where they can put this stuff in their books, which is what the personal trainers are studying from. And it's really just on – the onus is on the personal trainer to want to retain the information and not just get the certification. So there there are still you know bad apples, but there are bad apples anywhere. And right. uh, I would say on average, personal trainers have gotten a lot more education finally, and they're applying a lot more of these sports science practices, exercise physiology practices, and tracking data because there are – corporate programs now set in place where it's like, hey, we're going to use this this plan kind of model your training system with your clients after it, make sure you're tracking their data so that we have it for a file. You know what I mean? Right. And then you, you can literally just look at it and graph what's right. happening. Like, let's make sure you're getting better. And if you're not getting better, oh, let's, let's maybe take a deload. <laughs> right. Well, that's what that's the other thing. I always assumed that I was getting not getting better because I was hungry mm-hmm. and that that was natural. And now it is super interesting to see in periods where I am hungry sometimes and I'm getting better, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. Yeah, again, you're, you're just starting off with really applying these concepts. And I, even through diets, probably put on some lean tissue when I was dieting down a little bit. And, and you're definitely on, on track for that. So Yeah. How important is progressive overload? 
as far as making sure you're getting better every time? Yeah, well, okay, there's two, there's two parts to this. Like for me right now, I understand how important it is. For somebody who wants to lose 200 pounds or, or whatever, whatever puts you in the category of massive weight loss, mm-hmm. let's say 50 plus pounds That's of fat. True. If somebody wants to lose that, is it important? It's important for them to get to the gym to begin with. Right. Maybe three or four times a week because somebody who's that overweight, you know, I would assume they're making a lifestyle change and, and going to the gym is part of that. Having a healthy relationship with food is part of that. So making sure that they're getting into the gym at least a couple times a week and just being active is how you want to start. Right. And they're going to lose a lot of their weight with just doing that. And they're going to do that for a while, and then they can start implementing a little more training, maybe up the volume a little bit. But really, it's just getting them active to begin with is the most important thing. And then consistency is the next most important thing. And then you can dive into all the the variables like progressive overload and managing their fatigue and things like that. But these massive weight loss transformations, like when you were 500 pounds, were you in the gym? No. Yeah. So it's like these massive weight loss transformations on average, they're just not in the gym at all. And the second they get in there and do anything, it's 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 a net positive. Right. I have a few, I have a few friends who are who are pretty big and would come to the gym or go to the gym, and we're still struggling with weight loss. Mm. Now they would admit, like I'm not eating well, mm. and that and that's uh, you know I listen. If I was pulled aside and asked if. For a person who's 500 pounds, what's more important, the gym or diet? I would say diet. That's right. what I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's scientifically accurate, but I think it is. I mean, you have to be in a caloric deficit to lose body weight. You're just not right. going to. No matter, you can eat. You'd be 500 pounds and eating like a 500-pound person and going to the gym. You're not going to lose weight. Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, diet is for sure the most important. But uh, smart dieting is the most important if you want to keep it off. Yeah, and when I think about the way I started, and I, I wouldn't even necessarily – tell a person who's 500 pounds not to do this but i started off with a couple months of a liquid diet yeah you told me yeah and 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 i wouldn't recommend it for anybody my size now mm-hmm. or anybody who was trying to lose 10 15 20 pounds i would say please don't do that but right. f- and probably not even 50 pounds but for 250 pounds or 300 pounds of weight loss that you need to do i don't i don't see a problem with that but um at some point if there's the idea of retention of lean mass mm-hmm. and and one of my regrets is like I, I sometimes go like if I had if I hadn't shed an ounce of lean tissue you have quite a bit I would be a monster Your right legs now would be huge they'd be gigantic <laughs> yeah yeah but that's okay it gives me some other things to work for like yeah. I get to do a massing period now sure. which yeah. I'm looking forward to but at some point when the idea is okay, weight loss is going good. And by the way, if if we're even if we're taking the standards that you talk about, which is like the ideal areas, like one point five percent per week weight loss, right? Sure, sure. For somebody who's five hundred pounds, that's seven pounds a, a week. It's yeah. a lot of weight. You know, that's a pound a day. That's pretty solid weight loss. That's amazing. Yeah. When you get to wanting to retain lean tissue, the gym is absolutely vital, right? Absolutely, yeah. You have to go to the gym. So if you want to, you want to maintain lean tissue, which you want to, because like, so let's take somebody who is 500 pounds or even just 250 pounds, like say a female who finally wants to get into dieting, even for her, like she might be intimidated by the gym, might be scary, but again, just two times, three times a week, because 
when you lose weight and a fraction of that is lean tissue, your quote unquote, your metabolism goes down. You're losing literal muscle tissue. So you're not gonna be able to eat as much, as much food. So not only are you get into circumstance where you have to eat less food because you're dieting, but now you have to eat even less food because you're losing literal muscle tissue. So it's bad. <laughs> it's definitely good to get people into the gym early on. Right. Even if that's with them just like slowly integrating like, hey, instead of a full pizza, how about three-fourths today? Right. And then tomorrow we, instead of two cans of Mountain Dew, <laughs> we just do one. Right. Things like that while getting them into the gym. And then you're slowly integrating processes instead of throwing the kitchen sink of fitness at them. Right. The worst idea for anybody getting into it. Yeah. So just slowly integrating two times a week training. Just let's get you to the gym twice a week. Get a personal trainer for two times. The personal trainer will kick your butt, you know, and you can just slowly start shifting your diet a little bit. And then if you want to get into like the more nuanced calculating calories or hiring a coach to do your diet for you, that's fine. But let's not do the kitchen sink. Yeah. And then with with a, a coach, obviously, if you're in the beginning of it and you haven't ever exercised before, you haven't been to a gym before, a, a trainer who's just going to be there to like... Push you. That's it. 100%. That's all you need. Yeah, that's totally fine. I, I think that, uh, you know, still try to get the best trainer you can find. And I would say... That's that is education credentials do come in handy. It's like okay, well, this person has a bachelor's of science and they have this these two certifications, versus this kid is nineteen years old and has one online certification. I'm probably going with the the first guy. <laughs> yeah, I I, I don't want to I don't want to ever say that the way that somebody has to do something is really expensive. So I think you can get a very inexpensive gym membership for sure. Like. 24 hour fitness or something absolutely yeah. not planet fitness planet fitness Planet fitness is amazing for people just starting off yeah i, I would go train at planet fitness like not a it gets lot way too much flack like whatever they have all the right machines 100 they have personal trainers you yeah ten dollars a month go to planet fitness yeah <laughs> like it's great for people just starting off that's Fantastic. awesome yeah yeah that's good i want to break down all the barriers and and, oh, and sure. problems like because these things come up people you know I have concerns, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's not doing what we're doing at this at this point. I have because I'm an actor and 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 am have a lot of time off. Right. I can spend a lot of time thinking about this. For sure. You know, this is not what I think the average person can spend the majority of their time yeah, thinking about. Yeah, not at all. And that's why, you know, just trainers coaches people like that are fantastic like i'm not doing work on my car i'm not trying to learn how to remodel an engine if right. something goes wrong in my car i'm taking it up the road yeah and that's the same thing with it. you you stress over your car and the longevity of it but you're not stressing over if you're going to be there for your kids in 10 years like that that's a problem yeah like let's let's make it a little more of an okay thing to just like okay i need to invest in my health go get a trainer even if it's just two times a week i should probably do a little bit of something you know? Yeah. Okay. And then the deload is vital. Vital for? Like, again, it really depends on the person's mindset. But if you got a person who's in there, who's, who's, and, and I have, I have been this person mm -hmm. where I'm so anxious about running away from what I was mm -hmm. that I want to get everything done in one day. And so I am crushing myself all the time. Right. And, I have had instances where I'm not taking time off until I'm hurt or, right, right. or, you know, yeah, that's called a, you know, Mike said this when I was, I think in an undergrad and 
it's stuck with me ever since. But if you don't take deloads, your body will take them for you. Right. That's it. So these people are taking deloads. It's just a really shitty version where now you're recovering from a literal injury that carries over into the next blocks. And then you have issues with it for the rest of the time you're training. So it's very important for people to hopefully things like this become more popular. Like we're talk, sitting here talking about this. People are going to hear this. People hear RP talk on YouTube. There are other sports science companies out there like 3DMJ. They talk about it all the time. YouTube is great for this stuff. Yeah. Like how do I train? How do I diet? Like you find the right people and you, you find the right people with really good, high education and usually they're saying very similar things. If you hear one person saying outlandish shit that nobody else is saying, it's probably wrong. So maybe don't don't latch on to that. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely important to take these periods of fatigue management. And and if you hire a trainer and they think that you need one, they'll generally put you through one. I would say. Right. Because like I said, this information is becoming more popular, and they're starting to implement these t- types of processes. And but it, you can also. Uh, read up and figure out progressive overload on your own and progressive overload will always call for a deload at some point. Oh yeah, absolutely. With, with, with higher training volume. So the actual overload, you know, last time I did this, this time I have to, I have to do a little bit more. Um, fatigue comes with that. Yeah. More volume equals more fatigue. And at some point that volume is so much volume that you just can't recover from it anymore. And you're going to notice, you're going to like get kind of the sniffles and you're going to be like a little overtrained and you're like, shit, why do I feel this way? Look at your training. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going too hard too long, it's probably time to just take a week and kind of breathe, relax, go into the gym twice instead of five times and deload. Yeah. Okay. So I have been dieting now for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So we're eight weeks into this diet. We're going to go at least, I would think, six more weeks. At least, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then... Just, well, in the diet, to align, align with, with your, your goal. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do that, and then I'll do maintenance next after um, that. So what we talked about today in the gym, we're going to – what I would do with a bodybuilder. Yeah, so like consider me a bodybuilder. And and by the way, I want a, I want a score. I want a, um, a report card score. How am I doing? <laughs> as far as – because you train professionals to do this. Yeah, yeah. I have been trying my best. How am I doing? Oh, You overall? Yeah. Oh, my God. Ethan, 10 out of 10. Okay. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You've been amazing. You've been – one of my best clients. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's good. fantastic, man. Um, but going into maintenance, we're going to slowly ease you into into eating. And I'm doing that not as a bodybuilder. I'm doing that for you. Right. Because you have this very impressive fat loss journey. And we want to keep bringing your settling point down a little more and a little more every single year. So 270, and then we, we get you to 260. Basically, each time you, you shift the settling point down, when you reach 240 – Instead of being fucking starving, like if we get you to 240 right now, you're going to be hungry because your settling point is 270, not 240. Yeah, but I, I also think too that my body fat's going to be so low at 240. That's not a place be. we're going to hang out. Right. It might be. And it might be. And that's a good point. If let's get you to whatever your 10% is, right? And we get, we get, we're there. You think? When's the DEXA? <laughs> I got to do the DEXA again. The last DEXA I had ha- had me at 253. I was at 10%. <laughs> really? When I got there, I mean, listen, I had 220 pounds of lean tissue, 11 pounds of bones, or it was like 10 point right, something right. pounds of yeah. bones. So 23 pounds of fat is 10%. Wow. When was this DEXA? The, well, the last DEXA had me at 12%. 
So yeah. I haven't had it. I got to do it. I'm a little bit yeah. scared of doctor's offices right for now. For sure. Yeah. yeah, so we'll, let's just take it for example then. But I'm, we're going 10%, below 10%. 10%. Let's say it's 10% 250, right? Okay. You're current you're, – you're hungry at, at 255, you said. Yeah. So your selling point's not 250. Right. But if we can get it there, that's awesome. Yeah. Because now when you're 250 – you're feeling like you fell at 270, and you don't feel like you need to eat all this shit. Yeah, and we can mass from there. But for you coming, but I'm all. I also want to say I'm not arguing about the maintenance period. I want the maintenance no, period because I think that does yeah, yeah. actually give me the tools I need to live. Mm, for sure, we'll come out of the the diet. Uh, you know, the week, the couple weeks following reaching that goal of yours, and then we'll uh, slowly add in some calories. Maybe, maybe not take you right to maintenance, but maybe like. 250 calories a day less than your maintenance would be and then see how you feel because there's going to be some glycogen and water retention there yeah and you being you and and not like some bodybuilder who is just three percent we don't want you to freak out you know what i mean you're going to see that and be like fuck what is going on i'm I'm gaining some water weight and some whatever the hell is going on here it might be fat you know i get that all the time and it's like okay so let's go up we're going to maintain on these calories for a week week two weeks and your body weight's going to go up due to intracellular water and sodium and things like that coming in. And then it's going to come down a little bit because you're going to level off. And then we'll add in some calories. It's going to do the same thing, go up and then come down and level off. And by the end of that process, you'll have gained 10 but maybe lost 6, right? And then that's left with like 4 pounds. Right. So you've gone from your best look at, at under 10% body fat is what you're going to be according to what we just talked about to – you know, just four pounds right, right above that. So that way we can go into massing after that. Okay. So that process will take, you know, three, four weeks. So it's three, four weeks of getting you into maintenance to get you into a, ma- a massing surplus where we'll start adding muscle tissue. So, so what I'm aiming for is running into the holidays while massing. Perfect. I think, <laughs> I think we're definitely on track for that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I can't. That'll be wait. perfect. I think around Thanksgiving, you'll be like, all right, time to mass. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah. I'll eat all the turkey <laughs> as long as I get my macros. Heck yeah, man. Amazing. Well, Jared, thank you so much for Absolutely, coming on and talking man. to me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And thanks for all your help. It's fucking awesome. No, man, I, I, it's fun working with you. I yeah. love it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. And now for the Q&A. Nathan S. writes, I want to start off by saying you're an inspiration to me. Thank you, Nathan. I've just recently started working on my weight loss just by changing my eating habits and meal prepping for work. This has made eating healthy a lot easier. What I'm struggling with is that my hobby and way to unwind is doing competitive barbecue and I don't want to have my hobby interrupt my weight loss. But on the flip side, I use the time barbecuing to unwind and decompress from work. Any suggestions or tips would be much appreciated. Thank you for the question, Nathan. This is an interesting one because I, when I started dieting almost 20 years ago, I became borderline obsessed with cooking, which seems unbelievably counterintuitive to me now as I would not suggest that for anybody. You know, it'd be like uh, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol and become a bartender or something like that. Um, I, I, I will say I was somehow able to sublimate a little bit of my, my need to have some tangible experience with food by feeding other people. So what I would wind up doing is making a bunch of stuff that I couldn't eat on my diet and feeding it to my wife and kids. And my wife still will often say that when I become very serious about a diet, her 
and the rest of the family gains weight because I'm suddenly cooking them a bunch of stuff that I can't eat. So, you know, it's it's hard to cook anything and not taste it, but I don't know what your diet program is if you're doing uh, low fat or low carb uh, or if you're going to do a vegan diet. Obviously, barbecuing meat would be tough. You could try barbecuing vegetables. If you're going to be doing low fat, you could try barbecuing um, leaner cuts of meat. And if you're doing low carb, you could you know, start messing around with sugar-free barbecue sauces. Those are all my suggestions. Uh, Enjoy making food for other people and, and feeding them. It doesn't have to get in the way of weight loss. Thank you for the question, Nathan. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, you can submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>